Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies. Which, which is, is every year. Which is every year. Thank you, Jason, for <laughs> stepping knew. on my line. No, I, was, I knew it. That was what you Yeah, after say. all this time, you finally have figured out what we say at the beginning That's of the podcast. That's our catchphrase for our podcast. Oh, yeah. We should get business cards. Let's, let's discuss that afterwards. <laughs> My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and you've just heard my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, mukbang video enthusiast. What is, oh, is that the thing where you do a video of you eating? Yeah, and you go really chompy, chompy, so like you make really loud sounds. Ooh, I've never watched a mukbang video. I feel like that is something that you would actually like. You like food? <laughs> I like, I don't want to hear people eating it like in a very- But do they, do they like talk about how- good it is yeah it's like it's like oh this watermelon so juicy and that sounds very disturbing yeah it's a huge thing is it uh, yeah i've heard of it i didn't realize it was all about the sounds of uh eating i thought it was just about watching people eat good food no it's about the sounds of eating like there are all those uh videos of different you know what people like uh sound videos of different right right yeah well this is something that we will not address further (laughs) so on this season of awesome movie year we're talking about the films of 1989 and in this episode we're looking at our foreign film pick which is pedro almodovar's tie me up tie me down one of his early i guess i was thinking of this as one of his early films but this is actually like his eighth film. yeah he's very prolific he definitely is and uh, of course the original title atame right which just means tie me up tie me up Yeah, yeah but here in america we, we have, have to, who knows what add we're some doing. clarification Ugh. to it in some way. Uh, I'm the MPAA. I'm a dumb idiot. I um, mean, I don't think the MPAA were the ones who retitled it. It was yeah, it but they Mir- It was Miramax. Miramax. Yeah. Oh yeah. Look at how well that's gone. People. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You want to defend the Weinstein boys? Now? I'm just saying, get it. You know, have the <laughs> find the right people to blame. You know, don't blame the wrong people. We'll get to the MPAA. They yeah, have some. There was a whole. There was a whole movie. deal. Uh, so yeah, it was Almodovar's eighth film, as well as his fifth collaboration with Antonio Banderas, and it was really, I would say, the the second Almodovar film that that broke him kind of beyond Spain. His film right before this, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, uh, got a lot of international attention and acclaim, and I think is still regarded as one of his best films. And this was his follow up to it. Yeah, I gotta say, I think this uh, he was a blind spot for me. Obviously, I know who Almodovar is. I think this is probably the first Almodovar movie I've ever seen. Yeah, so. I'd seen, I'd never seen this one. Um, I've seen a lot of later Almodovar movies. I was looking, I think, before this, the earliest one of his I'd seen was from 1999. So, you know, in the more, quote, mature part of his career. But yeah, so it is maybe a bit of a blind spot for me, too, in terms of really delving into, especially this earlier kind of more out there work of his. Yeah, this is, you're not an expert on it like you were in the, uh, the uh romanian gothic uh you know the romanian new wave <laughs> yeah that's yeah right. no that's i think i've seen more almodovar movies than romanian new wave movies oh but you, i wouldn't say that i'm an expert you say that's all the ladies yeah. tell, don't you <laughs> um but yeah no you mentioned fifth collaboration with antonio banderas first collaboration with victoria Abril. yes and almodovar is someone who tends to work with actors over and over again it was a big deal because he had split from his lead actress uh, before, yeah, do you know her name? Is it Carmen Maura? I think. Okay, let's so, say, yeah. Hopefully, that's right. And it, that was a bitter feud. 
Yeah, and they eventually reunited, and she starred in some of his later films uh, many years later. All's well that ends well. Exactly. Uh, I was trying to figure out the box office for this. It, it grossed $4.1 million in North America, which is pretty impressive. And I couldn't quite get the worldwide gross. Wikipedia just had uh, that, that North American figure is from Box Office Mojo. Wikipedia had $8 million, but it wasn't clear what that meant, if that was in Spain or the world overall. But it was a huge hit in Spain. Yeah, the number one uh, Spanish uh, domestic movie of that year in Spain. Yeah. Beating uh, Carmen's movie. Yeah. Which was number two. Yeah, it went, and which was, although it ended up beating it because in addition... To being the top box office movie in Spain, it was nominated for 15 Goyas, which is a sort of Spanish Oscar, and it wow. it lost all of them, most of them, to her her film. See what a what a you know it's art versus commerce here. Well, this this one, yeah, I mean, I so we're counting this one as commerce, and the it, the the one it lost to as art. Sure. Okay. I never saw the other one. Yeah, I'm not sure. It wasn't one that I was familiar with. Um. But it obviously was a huge deal. I think he was, Amadovar was pretty well known and popular in Spain at this point before bringing his work to the rest of the world. But it was, it was controversial, as you kind of alluded to, uh, the MPAA. There was a big battle over the rating uh, in the U.S., whether it would get an X rating, uh, which is what it was initially uh, labeled with, and Miramax decided to release it without a rating. So it was controversial, but also looking up English language reviews, it was kind of the response was a bit mixed to it. Um, it got two thumbs down from Siskel and Ebert, both of whom were not super into it. Although reading Ebert's written review, he was a little more measured, not super negative. So he says, the material isn't as disturbing as it might have been because we have the sense that this isn't a real kidnapping especially after the woman begins to assist in her own captivity. Does she enjoy being someone's possession? There certainly is a lot of security in being tied up and cared for, and you don't find yourself with a lot of tough decisions to make. In a perverse sense, it is always the captive who's in control, always the masochist who gets what he desires. If Almodovar had gone further in this direction, if he had explored the paradoxes of this sort of sexual captivity, he might have had something here, maybe a dark comedy to remind us of something by his Spanish countryman, Luis Buñuel. But the movie is too flighty and uncentered, and it allows actual violence to break the spell when false alarms would have sufficed. It's most entertaining in the quiet times between the big moments, the little scenes where Marina begins to understand Ricky just a little. Nailed it. <laughs> Ebert is a smart guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I thought this movie was going to be more of a wacky comedy and less dark than it was. Uh, and what was that the intent? Did the comedy not age? I don't think the comedy aged well. Obviously, you know, you can't yeah. really make a movie today about a guy who's going to kidnap a woman and then she falls in love with him. Right. You know, but um, yeah, I don't know. The jokes didn't land for me in this. Yeah, I don't know if it is part of it is it doesn't age well. Mm. Part of it is maybe it doesn't translate properly. I mean, that's always a, a question with with films in another language. But I, I, I also I think Ebert is is right. I think that in order to accept the idea that the woman is falling in love with her kidnapper, it needs to be more surreal. It needs to be more heightened. We can't feel the like real danger of the violence. Right. They hedged the bets on that one. Yeah. Uh, so I know when you and I were watching this, you said we we should have a woman's perspective 
on this film. Um, and yeah, and you were like, no women allowed on our <laughs> podcast. So uh, I wanted to find some female critics and uh, starting with another negative response from Joanna Steinmetz in the Chicago Tribune. She said, the story by Almodovar about a former mental patient who woos an actress by holding her hostage in her apartment could be an amusing metaphor for the dynamic of falling in love. But the director takes it to extremes, asking us to believe that a woman who is beaten, threatened with death, and tied to a bed would fall suddenly in love with her emotionally short-circuited captor. Much is made of the fact that the actress, Marina, is a recovering junkie, but it's never clear whether the kidnapper is to be her new addiction or if the movie thinks it's talking about normal love. Dramatically, it doesn't work. It's a movie that's too naive to be pornography and too callous to be art. And yeah, I think I read somewhere maybe a quote from Almodovar or just a, an analysis of this that is it's meant to be almost like a, a satire of heterosexual relationships. Yeah, like, and monogamy and everything. Right, and I feel like that just doesn't really come across either. Yeah, I mean, you know, we know, so she's an ex-porn star. She's a, a, an addict, a drug addict. And, like, you do see the addiction kind of lead to one story beat. But the porn thing, like, I don't, it didn't serve any purpose, really. Yeah, it seemed to be kind of tossed off and then not really followed up in any kind of meaningful way. Um, and I know, I mean, I think the the movie's attitude toward relationships between men and women is is potentially complicated a bit by the fact that you know that Amadovar is gay and so this isn't like his fantasy in some way it's not a wish fulfillment piece but it's still kind of unclear what it's meant to yeah be. i mean a good satire of uh a heteronormative relationship was would be fun or any type of relationship but right. uh this one not as much fun yeah yeah not nearly as much uh, and so, for, uh, finally, another woman's perspective, and this is a positive review, although it's a bit overwritten. Um, Rita Kempley in the Washington Post said, The cords that tie us to one another, silken, insidious, invisible, become literal ropey metaphors in Pedro Almodovar's fleshy love story, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Though initially rated X and hotly debated, it's a tale not of kinky sex, but of a sweeter human bondage of loose ends tied into lover's knots. X marks the G-spot, perhaps, <laughs> for this is an orgiastic comedy of terrors and errors. More likely, X denies the disquieting truths that only art can speak, with brazen guile in this instance. Viewed superficially, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down is a national organization of women nightmare, but suffice to say it's the women, calm and sure, who take the reins. I don't know if that's quite... I, I don't think it. so. Yeah. I also would have loved that that X marks the G spot line from Gene Shalit. <laughs> X marks the G spot, you know. Like, yeah, I don't know if he talked about. It. I was almost, I was a little surprised that Siskel and Ebert had actually reviewed this on TV because I was wondering if this was maybe a little too obscure. I think. Well, it's a big. It was like you said, it was a big deal, big hit, even for America for a foreign right. film to make four million dollars at that point in time. That's a big. That's big, true. That is a good amount of money. There. Yeah, yeah. I think the controversy probably helped it in terms of the box office, that even if reviews were uneven, people wanted to go see what is this naughty movie that the MPAA doesn't want us to see. Ugh, they're the worst, the MPAA. <laughs> Get rid of them. Yeah, the MPAA are kind of the worst. But luckily, they didn't prevent this movie from being released. I mean, a lot of cases, I think what happens when 
they label movies like that is the movies get buried. And this movie obviously didn't. It came out. It made a good amount of money. Yeah. It got attention, press, all of that. Well, like you said, it was uh, the wine scenes in 89, uh, this, and uh, they had sex, sex lies. lies and they, had a, yeah. they had a big year. Lots of sex and controversy from them. Which is very different than what's going on. With <laughs> yeah. Well, in a, in a fun way back then, not, not so much now. No, I know. We have to, like, like what we talked about with the Kevin Spacey episode, we have to recognize the business acumen of uh, Harvey Weinstein in this regard. And that's what we're going to do. And, right. uh, you know, he, he was uh, very good at releasing movies that otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to be released. That is true. He did have obviously a large uh, hand in bringing Almodovar to an American audience. So um, as we said, neither of us had seen this movie before. And yeah. We watched it together. We did. It was lovely. And, and you, you stayed awake almost the whole time. You tied me up. And, and, uh, and you tied me down. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we were role playing throughout the whole thing. I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I as a novice to the Almodovar catalog, I had always thought, you know, and I, this is one of the more well-known titles, you know, you're going to get these kind of uh, absurdist, wacky love stories that kind of have some statement on society. And I didn't get any of that here. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely muddled. So we can talk further about that when we return and talk our general thoughts on Time Me Up, Time Me Down. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we're talking about our foreign film pick, Pedro Amadovar's Time Me Up, Time Me Down, which we were both kind of disappointed in. Yeah, it just... Um... I feel like it never kicked past first gear, you know? Yeah, it is weird for a movie that's so crazy and over the top in a lot of ways. It's weirdly slow. Um, we start with the plot here. Ricky, played by Antonio Banderas, is in a mental institution. It wasn't clear to me if he was a criminal or he was just had been labeled uh, mentally incompetent. I think both. Yeah. Maybe. Because so. uh, there's a judge who decides that he can be released from this institution. Yeah. And he's a very, you know, uh, sexual, uh, sensual man at this point in time. He's basically Spain's version of Lucky Vamos. Lucky you know? Vamos. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Diet Coca. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, you know, and I mean, he, yeah, Banderas was he was a good looking guy. Yeah, he's been he's been having sex with the uh the warden. Yeah, the whoever <laughs> she is, the, the director yeah. of the institution. And later we learn lots of nurses as well. Yeah, yeah. He's been sexing a lot. That's yes. one skill he has. He's very good at the sex. Yeah, although we should mention that uh Vic, Marina, Victoria Abril's character, had a one night stand with uh Ricky a year before and had no recollection of it. That until is true. they until they had the sex and yeah. then that was what well you would think if the sex was that good you would already remember it yeah that's a good point uh and he he had escaped from the institution briefly to go have sex with her yeah. or not for that purpose necessarily but that's what he did while he escaped and so he's been deemed competent and immediately upon being released he starts having uh committing crime yeah so that judge made the wrong call stalking and stealing stuff all for the sake of stalking, you yes. know. It's uh everything goes back to stalking Marina, who is starring in a 
not pornographic film right some uh, sort of weird arty horror movie that we yes, never the midnight phantom there you go and i love this this is something that i would find amusing about a lot of movies within movies where you just see like snippets you know we see them filming a couple scenes and the director is sort of a an, an important character and then like halfway through the movie stops being an he's important character never, yeah um but you know he's got all these these artistic statements about what his movie is about and if this were a real movie it would be completely incoherent and i just i find that amusing when they do that in movies where uh the characters are all talking about this movie that they were they're working on and you're like this, this is a ridiculous project and so i thought that was kind of amusing and in the, and you know they say it's a sequel and to like a lesser known film from the director uh maximo espejo yes and who's in a wheelchair but yeah is very horny re recovering from a stroke but yeah lusting After over marina, marina and uh very protective of her in that in that uh, lustful old man way, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, maybe Harvey Weinstein had some uh, identification. The movie was already <laughs> he was no, no, no. I mean, maybe he like saw this movie and thought, "I feel for that character." Really? He, but he wasn't an old man then. He's an old. That's man true. Now. He's an old man now, but he was yeah. always a sort of you know creepy, creepy old guy man. guy who worked on movies and lusted after young actresses. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I guess like. That's honestly, that was something in my mind as we watched this movie, like that character is like the epitome of the kind of person that we talk about with the sort of Me Too movement that we are criticizing, that is behavior that is wrong. And he, but this character never really, I don't think he crossed a line with Marina. He just, uh, I mean, he's kind of harassing her, calling her all the time, wanting her to come over. I mean, if this was a real professional relationship, he would have been, he should have been From fired. a professional, yes, standpoint, yes. That, you make a fair point, but we had just covered Say Anything, and, you know, uh, Lloyd did the same exact thing to Diane. Right, but Lloyd isn't It's not Diane's a professional. Yeah, yeah, there's a big difference you. there. And, of course, within the context of this movie, what the director does is harmless compared to what Ricky does, which is break into her house and tie her up and kidnap yeah, her. Yeah, I think that's more of what I meant. Obviously, if you're if you're in a professional relationship with someone, you shouldn't, uh, you know, that power dynamic is always kind of what's getting these dudes uh, seemingly don't understand it lately. And, uh, but yeah, but he, he didn't, compared to like kidnapping and beating a woman up, you're like, yeah, I could take another phone yes. call from this guy. Maybe. Yeah. And, but what's weird to me is that I feel like within the context of the movie, we're meant to sympathize with Ricky and find the director kind of like a gross old man. Yeah, I think, I mean, are we supposed to like anyone in this movie except the sister, maybe? I don't know. That was a hard thing for me to figure out who we're supposed to sympathize with. And in the, in the reviews that I read and and like things on Letterboxd from people who liked it, it seemed like the perspective was that Ricky is a likable character. And I didn't feel that way at all. I guess you, but that's because... He's played by a young, charming uh, Antonio Banderas, and it's tough not to like him in that role. But that, but he was supposed to, like, he tells uh, Marina right away, "I'm here to become your husband and take care of your kids." So, like, he's obviously trying to charm her. It's not like he's supposed to be a guy that we hate, basically. Right, but I mean, the way he goes about it is obviously very bad and wrong. And I felt like I could never be on his side. Because, I wasn't either. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a point where she is able to escape, you know, and she decides not to because she's already fallen for him. 
And that was tough to buy into also. And you're like, why are you such an idiot? You know, so. <laughs> right, right. And is like, is it a statement on Stockholm syndrome syndrome? And again, the idea that if it's a satire of of heterosexual relationships, the idea that every relationship between a man and woman is somehow based on coercion or something. And I didn't feel like that came across in the movie. I don't think so either. Uh, although I do think Stockholm syndrome would be a good name for a band. So sure, sure. That's put that out there thank you any of you want that name that's got already yeah that's a pretty common term so yeah um well you can look it up he's giving me the stink eye i mean you're right there saying it's got to be there but you're not looking it up did you watch the movie dave no i didn't watch this come on this movie dave's not watching this i i was giving him a fair chance to answer dave Dave, i'm having a hard time believing it's real from from (laughs) your description of it dave with his very gene shallot like hair today man (laughs) i think we need a compilation of all the things that you have compared dave's hair to uh yeah i would that might be you know uh when we get the Patreon up and running, we'll there give you it, go. We'll, give it we'll put that together. Dave well, did yeah. recently watch uh, No Country for Old Men, though. So. I did, and <laughs> you know? uh, and uh, the thing back to back. No, it was No but... Country based on our uh, our you know uh, discussion and season two on it. <laughs> That's what I mean. He finally got around we're to like, it. Hey, this does a sound few months after the episode, yeah. a little late, but yeah. I made it. Yeah, uh, there are at the time of recording uh, three, four, five, six Stockholm syndromes on Spotify. Wow. Yeah, that's a, it's such a common phrase. They I'm should sure. kidnap each other. And <laughs> wow, them that's all, a like, movie right there. That's a movie. Yeah. So one thing I did like about this is something that that Almodovar is known for, which is his use of color. The production design, the visual style of this movie is impressive. Yeah, it looks great. It's very, uh, for us, we would probably compare it to the pastels of Miami, you know, something yeah. you might see in Out of Sight. Right. Steven Soderbergh, 10 years later or whatnot. But um, yeah, it, there's a lot of life to the production. Um, and, uh, you know, another element of it uh, that we should discuss is the music by uh, your dear friend my dear friend by the by the great ennio morricone yeah you know who is known for his work with sergio leone on westerns and still is around worked has worked with quentin tarantino and i guess i was surprised at the way like seeing his name i thought it would be more of that western style more orchestral music but that's probably not fair. I'm sure he's done a million different kinds of scores and it has a very 80s synthy feel. I like that stuff. I thought the music worked. I know Almodovar was kind of half and half on his music oh, yeah. here, but uh, yeah, to me, it worked well. Yeah, I thought it was fine. And I think I read somewhere that the idea that the music recalls what you might hear in like the movie that she's making, the, the kind of cheesy horror movie. And so I was fine with that. I, I After my kind of surprised that it sounded not how I expected it to sound. I didn't think it was bad. It just I didn't. Yeah, I no, I liked it. I thought yeah. it was one of the better elements. Of the yeah, it's good. I thought that that was good. The production design, especially when uh, they shift from initially Ricky has her tied up in her apartment and then they move over to her neighbor's vacant apartment. Right. And- There's a lot of like pieces story wise that doesn't like what? How did you end up in the neighbor's? And it, even when we were watching that, I was like, how did this happen? You know? Yeah, but- it was a bit confusing. I think the idea that no one's going to look for her there, he's out of town. But the way that that apartment is designed, and it's almost like, it's completely unrealistic. It's it's the kind of thing, it's like the, the TARDIS on Doctor Who, where it's bigger on the inside. You know, they go into it and you think, there's no way that this apartment looks like this from the way, you know, it's on the outside or compared to her apartment across the hall or whatever. But it's got all these 
crazy colors to it and the knickknacks and everything like that. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of the movie. Yeah. I, I, I don't think what we're saying is like, it's a horrible movie. We're just saying that it, didn't live up to any of the expectations of it not being horrible. <laughs> no, I mean, I wouldn't say it's horrible, but I, I would say it's muddled that if it's trying to say something, I don't think it succeeds or maybe it doesn't succeed anymore in the current context in which you and I watched it. Uh, yeah. Um, so one thing I was thinking is, you know, there's that last scene where, so Marina tells her sister, I know he kidnapped me, but I love him. And then she's convinced, like, all right, well, let's go track him down. They go to, like, his old town where he's, like, in the family ruins, which is a very random place to have found him. I know. Yeah, well, he talks about it earlier in the film, and he draws this little, like, (laughs) map of his life that mentions the town where he grew up. And he even says he wants to take her. I know, but it is random as far as, like, that's where he's going to be at this point. I guess, but I feel like if by that point you were like, this movie has lost me in believability, like... uh, come on so she gets him hey you know i do love you let's all be together and then they're driving back and the sister's like ah see we'll be good friends and they all start singing this song um some spanish pop song resistire resist right yeah by uh duo dinamico the dynamic duo Yeah. yeah so and i just think um there's this look on so like you know the sisters like she's all in and then Ricky is like totally all in. Yeah, he's gotten everything that he ever yeah. wanted in life. And there's this look on Marina's face where like she's it's almost like the end of like something like the graduate where like are, are we regretting this? And like she's about to be on the verge of tears. And is she happy? Is she sad? And I felt like had he cut it there, it would have been so much more effective. But he added one more shot of, you know, we're behind the car and we just see it drive off. And it didn't leave me with that like. Last beat, like we talked about on Say Anything earlier this season, where it's like, you know, everything's going to be okay, and you hear the pop, and then it cuts right there. So yeah, I felt like it wasn't always, uh, and if that was an example of not cutting on the on the character, on the emotion, I felt like uh, throughout the movie, we weren't getting that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely am with you on that ending, and I, I saw at least one mention somewhere of the graduate-style ending, and as I was watching that, I was kind of trying to figure out again, based on her facial expressions, on Marina's facial expressions, are we meant to think that she's now sort of regretting this? Yeah. That she, I mean, because clearly from my perspective, and I think probably from both of our perspectives as audience members, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. she made the wrong choice here, and I want her to feel that as a character. What did you think she... I I, I just don't feel like it quite... I feel like I was wanting it to come across that way, but I don't know that it entirely did. Like I wanted to be able to say at the end of the movie, like the movie is saying that she had Stockholm syndrome, you know, that she got caught up in this and made the wrong choice. And I don't think he quite sells that if that was the intention. Yeah. Yeah. I think had it cut on that shot before where you're on uh, really on the three shot and you know, you're focused in on her face you would have amplified that um, emotion. I That's yeah. where I was going with it. Yeah. Because when you show the car just driving off in the distance, it's like, okay, and we're happily ever after. Right. Know? I mean, I think even that shot, the way that it's a three shot and not like a close-up of her maybe, it doesn't emphasize it enough. Yeah. And I think her her expression is sort of enigmatic enough that you could look at it both ways. And Which is maybe the point. Uh, yeah, I think that is the point. Again, I think what what I wanted to be the point probably isn't actually the point. Yeah. And so that was disappointing to me. 
Yeah, the other big deal in this film is the sex scene. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Victoria yeah. Abril in all of her natural splendor. Yes, but there is a uh, a sex scene with her and Antonio Banderas, and at one point, uh, uh, a ceiling mirror shot that's not there for any. That's a cool reason. looking shot, though. That's yeah, but see, but what's the purpose of it other than to look cool? I mean, isn't that okay to have cool looking shots in movies just because we like cool looking shots? Yeah, all right, fine. But that sex scene was the big deal. That's what, you know, almost got these guys the NC. Or no, there was no NC, the X rating here. Right, right. Yeah, that and the the scene uh, where Victoria Abril Marina is in the bathtub and she has a little, like, uh, Scuba diver man. toy yeah. that uh, swims right between her legs, which I thought that was, that was earlier in the movie. And that was kind of the, like, playful attitude towards sex that I expected from this movie that didn't really follow up i thought that sequence was a lot was fun yeah no and then i had read the other thing was that they didn't like that they showed two ladies on the toilet which is of all the things to show it's this very basic and i mean i think in both cases it's supposed to show how like mundane normal yeah things have to occur in the middle of you can pee and talk at the same time right or that even if you're being kidnapped and whatever you, you you know you still have to pee so yeah. I, I don't know. That's Good point, Josh. Thank you. No, just just that that bodily functions are a part of life or whatever. Like I, I thought those scenes were I never if if you had asked me after after we watched this movie, why was it controversial or why did it maybe get an X rating? I would have thought of that sex scene and maybe the even the toy scene or whatever. But the toilet would never have crossed my mind. That's my point is the MPA is ridiculous and stupid and out of touch with everything. I, I mean, I, I agree on that. So um, we mentioned Antonio Banderas and how uh, charismatic he is. What did you think of the performances overall? They're Victoria all good. Abril? I had no, I had no, no issue with any of them. I thought they're all very good. And it's, this failed on the page to me. And then, you know, no matter how it was executed after that, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I think the performances are, and this is a tough thing to sell. That's if it fails on the page, then it kind of falls to the actors to make you believe the reactions of these characters that are hard to swallow. And I think they do everything that they could be expected to do, I guess. And even though I still didn't quite buy into it, it, it's not necessarily the fault of the acting. Nope. I agree with you. It's not, I mean, they were all, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything there. You know, they all did their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and anything else that you liked about this movie? Uh, anything else I liked? I liked that Ilya Kazan said that this was one of his favorite sex scenes or something. <laughs> Ilya Kazan, yeah. noted connoisseur of sex scenes. Yeah, exactly. I liked that at the Madrid premiere, they dressed up a garbage truck to look like a parade float, and that's how they got there. Um, no, I don't. I don't really think there was anything else I liked. Um, some of, I mean, you know, I like. The locations, this is, you know, the scenery. It's nice to see Spain. Yeah, <laughs> so. it is nice to see Spain. There you go. That was a nice little commercial for come to Madrid and get kidnapped. España. España, sí. So uh, should we rate this out of five uh, sexually voracious scuba diver toys? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's two and a half scuba divers for me. Yeah, I agree. Two and a half. Definitely a disappointment. I think, I, I don't remember when we were talking about what to cover for this episode, but I think I, I was- I was advocating for this movie, and now I feel yeah, bad about it. I wanted Cinema Paradiso, which I which is a great movie. Eh. 
better than this movie. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but this is an interesting movie, and we'll talk a little more about it when we get into the legacy of Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down in just a moment. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we're talking about our foreign film pick, Pedro Amadovar's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. And even though we didn't love it or even necessarily like it, it is a pretty important film in Amadovar's work. Well, yes, like we've said, it, it was a huge hit. So, you know, what do we know? We're a bunch of idiots. But that, I mean, that, that is if you've if you've learned anything from listening to this podcast, learn that we're a bunch of idiots. You know, this is always the question with with comedies. Uh, you know, had we seen it back in 1989 when we were young children? Yeah, exactly. If if at, if at nine or ten years old we had watched this movie, some some comedies age well, as we'll find out in the next episode, and some do not. But um, you know that 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 was a big deal, and the other big deal was that it did help lead to some ratings changes through those idiots over at the MPAA. Yes, as you allude to, this was given an X rating and ended up being released without a rating, but it occurred right at the time that the X rating was retired and replaced with NC-17. And when it was released on home video, this was one of the first NC-17 rated Yeah, movies. this, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, and The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover were the three that kind of spurred that change. Yeah. Have you seen either of those? Uh, I've seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer like a really long time ago, and I haven't seen uh, The Cook, The Thief, the wife, her, His Wife, and Her Lover, uh, although I'd like to. It's uh, Peter Greenaway, I believe, um, which I, and I haven't seen any of his films, so I should see it. Good. And I assume it has some <laughs> explicit content that maybe I would enjoy. Yeah, like maybe a lady peeing or something. Yeah, like exactly. The lady that. peeing. So. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about, I guess maybe we've talked more about like uh, the Academy rule changes as legacies of various films, but I think we've talked about the MPAA uh, as well. We might have talked about, did we talk about one of the first like PG-13 rated movies at one point? I, maybe not. I'm not sure, but I do, I would recommend this film is not yet rated, which is uh, Kirby Dick, our friend Ryan's father-in-law and prolific documentarian made a documentary about how ridiculous the MPAA is. And I think that's, a very good movie. Documentary. Uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that. I should see that along with the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. You should watch the MPAA one and then watch the cook, the thief and give it a rating based on what you've learned. Oh, interesting. Other than that, well, again, about Almodovar, and I know you haven't seen uh, any other of his films, but I think, interestingly, this is a movie that you could argue has not the greatest portrayal of women or not the greatest yeah, attitude toward women. and. Not. And he became known as this incredibly sensitive director of actresses and portrayer of female characters. And a lot of the later films of his that I've seen, especially uh, Volver and All About My Mother, movies that he made with Penelope Cruz, who is one of his main collaborators. He hadn't worked with her yet as of this film, but ended up working with her numerous times. And I think some of probably the best performances that she's ever given are all in these Amadovar movies. And there are movies of his that are just like, so rich with their portrayal of, of women's lives and friendships and relationships. And it's interesting to see that may, I don't know if he matured or maybe just he figured out the right tone for his stories, but those later films are less wacky, but a lot more rewarding, I think. But I also think what I'm saying has merit in that, that comedy, you know, at this point in time, 
you know, doesn't necessarily add up to comedy today, right? Things right. that were funny. Like, for instance, I remember once when I was in high school or college, I had this idea for a play about like, uh, like, and this is going to sound horrible now, but back then it was like, it was supposed to be, and I thought it was a funny satire idea, right? About like a group of kids who want to come in and shoot up their high school. But it turns out on the same day, another group of kids wanted to come in and shoot up their high school. So they get into a fight over, you know, who should be shooting up the high school. Funny satire, young, but there have been so many horrible, horrific, you know, school shootings that would that would never be funny now today. You yeah. Know, so I mean, I think you can still satirize something like that, or you could even make a movie like this with a slightly different tone, but the the plot could work. If you, I think if you do what Almodovar was supposedly doing or what people claim that he was doing and satirizing heteronormative relationships, I don't think this movie succeeds at that in 1989 or now. Right. Well, we, we obviously, we did Heather's already this uh, season and there's that scene where she's walking away. Uh, Veronica's walking away and in the background, you see uh, one of the Heather's uh, being date raped and it, that as a satire was very effective and I think still holds up as an effective satire. But, you know, I, again, it's such a tough subject to make funny. You right. Know, right. I mean, I think Heather's is a movie that maybe wouldn't be made today, but I it think it holds, it holds up everything right. that they do in that movie holds up. And this one maybe doesn't, but yeah. I would, I would recommend, even though we're down on this movie, I would recommend Almodovar's, especially his later films, especially Volver is fantastic. Well, with Penelope Cruz. He's a, such a major figure, right? You yeah. jump in and like, this is one of his most well-known titles. And that's what's so disappointing is like, oh yeah, you would always jump in with a major title from a major figure. Uh, but this definitely didn't excite me for more of his stuff. But I will agree that I should see more of it. Yeah, there's some other good stuff. Um, he did work again. Actually, after having made five films with Antonio Banderas, they didn't work together again until 21 years later. Uh, but they made then The Skin I Live In, which is extremely, uh, it actually has a lot of similar themes about kidnapping and Stockholm Syndrome, but it's a dramatic, almost a horror movie. And it's definitely very uncomfortable. And the kind of movie that was, that came out in 2011, I think, that you think they couldn't make in that year, and yet he did. Um, and then, of course, Banderas recently nominated for an Oscar for starring in Pain and Glory uh, from Almodovar, which is a much more kind of sensitive quote mature film yeah i mean i guess the lesson here is that as as is always the case with comedy anything can be funny it's just how you execute it right to see if it will be funny and it's it's not um and this movie also was kind of a launching pad for antonio banderas to become a star in the u.s uh after this movie came out here uh in america he started appearing in hollywood films and of course I mean, he still works, obviously, just as recently as this past year with Almodovar, but we think of him more as like a Hollywood actor these days. Yeah, he's definitely um, at least on the same level as Lucky Vamos. <laughs> I hope he's slightly <laughs> higher level than that guy. All right. He probably has never been nominated for an Oscar, I would no, imagine. No, but Lucky Vamos might have been nominated for a Clio for his work in the, <laughs> in the Coke commercial. Wasn't he on a soap? Maybe he got nominated for a daytime Emmy? It's possible. He should yeah. do an Almodovar movie. I, sure. Let's make that happen. I'll make a few calls. You do that. So any other uh, thoughts on the legacy of Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down? No. No. 
Didn't like it. I don't want to keep beating it up. All right. Fair enough. Although maybe it would like that. (laughs) (laughs) As long as I told it I loved it. Yeah, exactly. So that is Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. And that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on the social media. You sure can. And why don't you? I'm uh, at Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. And go for Jason.com still under construction. Keep working on that website. It will be rebuilt. Uh, we are on Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. AwesomeMovieYear.com. I am at JoshBellHatesEverything.com. Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can find us wherever you listen to this podcast and on social media at PiecingPod. And Jason, I know you're very excited about our next episode. It's my pick. What is your pick? When Harry Met Sally. Did he tie her up and tie her down? I'm, if there was a sequel there, then we might, well, we would never have found that because that's not the type of movie it is. It is not. But when Harry Met Sally, uh, I love it. It's a great movie and it's hilarious. All right. So tune in next time for When Harry Met Sally. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. 